Welcome to podcast number nine of the Drop Everything podcast. I'm your host, Dan Holzman, and today I'll be talking with Kevin Axtell. We'll discuss the spinning community, firewalking, the IJ, and much, much more. So stick around for that, but before we get there, let's thank our sponsor. We only have one sponsor today, but that sponsor is very important. It's the International Jugglers Association. You can find them at juggle.org. Join the membership, uh, become a life member, really join the society and the community that is the IJA. Okay, let's get into our conversation with the great, the talented, the great and talented Kevin Axel. First off, uh, am I saying that correctly? Is it Axtel? Uh, close, Axtel. Axtel, Kevin Axtel. Now, a good thing about this podcast, one of the good things is that I feel like I know you. I feel like I know you since I've seen you at lots of different conventions, uh, probably for 20 years, are we saying? Um, close to, not quite, probably 15. 15. But I don't feel like I know Kevin Axtel, you know? <laughs> uh, I know you're up from somewhere. Uh, so clue me into the, the from the background, because I want to I say Sonora, Sonoma? Close. Yeah, I live very near Sonora, California, which mm -hmm. is in central northern California in the foothills, close to Yosemite and Lake Tahoe up in the mountains. Oh, okay. I picture a very uh, nice, mountainous nature uh, type of atmosphere. Am I picturing that correctly? That's exactly correct. Okay. I'm looking out my window at just that. Nice, nice. And is that where you grew up as well? Not exactly. I was born in Colorado Springs and then moved to California really early. And then I've lived in several different cities, such as uh, Santa Barbara as a child, and then the Bay Area, Foster City, San Francisco area, Sacramento. And it wasn't until my high school years uh, that I moved up to the mountains. And uh, before juggling came into your life, what kind of activities did you do? Were you a pretty uh, normal child upbringing? Yeah, I'd say fairly normal. I played baseball and uh, fought with my brother and uh, played video games and pretty pretty standard Americana upbringing. And so when did the uh, the all-encompassing spectrum of juggling approach and, and how did you become aware of juggling? In uh, high school, my senior year in both my newspaper class and my drama class, Aaron Stevens, a juggler who you know and many mm -hmm. others do, was already juggling, and uh, we went to the same high school. And uh, becoming friends with Aaron, I took an interest in juggling, more so than my schoolwork, certainly, and uh, learned juggling in, during class time from Aaron Stevens. And soon after, maybe a six months after, went to the Lodi Juggling Festival, my first juggling festival. And that's really when I stepped into the world of juggling. Now, so you were about uh, 16, 17 uh, years 17, old? 17, 17. I wonder if I, I know you from those Lodi days. I certainly did a lot of Lodi. Uh, I came up here 18 years ago myself from the Los Angeles. I remember, I was just a, a starter then, but I do remember you from those uh, festivals you performed uh, from 1999 until Lodi ended, I went. Mm. Yeah, it's too bad that one ended. It's, it's nice to have a local festival or at least several local festivals. And that was certainly a very good one. So now, so when you saw Aaron juggling, uh, what about the juggling struck it as something that, that that was something you wanted to do? Well, I can't really remember exactly. I was definitely avoiding other types of schoolwork. 
Uh, I definitely liked Erin, and uh, she was a cool person to hang around. And I liked the feeling of accomplishment, I th- you know, getting mm-hmm. something. Um, and I also early, early on really liked juggling to music. And I liked to dance, but I didn't feel I was good at dancing. But when I was juggling to music, it was like dancing. Now, did you have any uh, dance training? Are you, are you a self-taught movement artist? Not at the time, but through college, I did take several different dance classes, choreography, modern dance, jazz. So uh, I do have some dance training from college. No, so you learned to juggle, and how quick would you say it became, so you went to Lodi, would you say after that your identity shifted a little bit? Did you consider yourself a juggler at that point? Yeah, pretty quickly. I took the identity of juggling. I remember learning to contact juggle and getting obsessed with it really early on in my juggling, and the response that I got from people made me feel good. So I'd say within a year of learning to juggle, I identified as a juggler and never looked back. And was there always a performance element? Did you always see yourself as someone who was going to become a performer? No. Originally, it was a hobby and an interest. And then I went to a lot of concerts, bands and things. And in the crowd, I would enjoy dance, juggling, improv. Mm -hmm. And as I got better, more people started to watch me, which led to performing occasionally with a few bands. And so the performance side of things evolved from a hobby. So uh, someone would see you, then invite you up on stage to perform, or how would something like that work? Well, specifically, there was a band called Alma Melodiosa, and they're still around, actually. And they lived in the area, and uh, I became friends with them after going to many of their shows. And they liked the juggling and made space for me to juggle in a semi-informal performance context. Mm -hmm. And that really, really hooked me. I loved it. And what, so what size crowds are we talking about? Pretty Fairly large? N- n- well, occasionally. Most of the time, you're probably looking at 50 to 100 people. But they mm. did go on t- tour. I went on tour with them a few times. And at bigger festivals, you were looking at anywhere from 200 to 1,000 people crowds. So that must have been a pretty exciting early experience to kind of hammer in this idea of, if I do this, you know, people will watch. Definitely. And you got a lot of positive reinforcement. So you always sort of started with this movement style in mind from the beginning? I'd say, yeah. The musical influence was really big right from the start with my juggling. And uh, dance was a a big part of my passion and interest in juggling. Now, were there some uh, some of these jam bands? Did you do like uh, the Grateful Dead or Fish or anything like like that? Well, I was... Less than following any particular band, I went. I really enjoyed festivals, music festivals, world music festivals, electronic music festivals. I wasn't so much interested in particularly the type of music. So I remember, I think it was at uh, Mountain Air, da- jamming out to the uh, the Dead, what's left of them, and uh, all sorts of different events. I never followed a particular band, mm-hmm. like a, like the Dead, for example, but I did enthusiastically go to any music festival I could uh, th- through my mid-20s. Because I was just listening to a podcast, uh, Busker Hall of Fame, uh, Carl Soliter, and he was saying that uh, he actually, one of his early gigs was doing street shows in the parking lot of Grateful Dead shows. 
<laughs> nice. So did you ever find any money-making opportunities or were these all just sort of show up or let you juggle kind of um, situations? Eventually I would get a small a portion of like the, the hat from the mm-hmm. night, uh, kind of split it with the band. Uh, my first real experience making money was street performing in a small little town called Columbia. I'd okay. say all of all of those festivals were uh, very low, uh, financially speaking. But it wasn't until street performing that I started to take a take an interest in the money making element of it all. That was all passion and youthful zeal. <laughs> no, I could I could see you out there. I could picture you out there. If people are familiar with your with your juggling, it's not too hard to picture a young Kevin Axtell out in the middle of a a sea of, of fellow music worshipers, and uh, he brings out his contact juggling, and the the crowd parts to watch him work his magic. I <laughs> I, I can view that pretty easily. So uh, that's about right. Yeah, cool. So then, um, you, you so you're just you're sort of you're you're sort of feeling you're a juggler, and and what I wonder when that when that actual transition begins, as far as what, how would you characterize somebody? When do you know you're a juggler, not just someone who can juggle? You think there's a moment that that, that the uh, addiction can be identified? For some people, I do. I think you might have a particular moment, whether that's from some type of, uh, you know, insobriety or uh, some psychological state or for others, uh, a show or that moment when you have a hat full of money. Um, for me, <laughs> right, right. For me, I think it was several different moments. I did not really have a... Uh, a community of my own, so to speak, mm-hmm. until going to the juggling festivals. And that was that was a big part of it. I think that was when I was like, okay, wow, this is a group of people. They're a lot like me. I get along great with them. I have something to add to it all. So for me, the juggling festivals really was when I hooked. But I think some people have an aha moment and others slowly slip into it. I think it might be that moment you send away for, for more props maybe. <laughs> I need some clubs, you know, or is this something like that where you're yeah. a little beyond or, you know, I need to learn a few more different tricks. When, so when I'm in a situation where I'm called upon to juggle, as if we're ever called upon to juggle, I'll have a little routine. I'll be able to, because I think what? anybody who maybe has a little routine and can sort of perform if called upon, maybe can be considered a juggler. We used to joke that uh, it, it was the five ball mark once you okay. put that time in. But, you know, there's so many different props now. It's hard to gauge that one thing. But that was kind of the I think there's something to that. Like, you you know, right. You at least picked up something a thousand times and tried it again. Right. You crossed a certain threshold of a, of a skill yeah. where up till five, I could see someone sort of dilly dallying and getting to four and be able to do four semi. But to actually get five around a few times, okay, that's that's a that's a big commitment of time. Yeah, it's a good indicator, but it's not the only one. You know, there's three ballers for life that are obviously. Mm-hmm. So no, so now you're getting out of high school. You're starting to do some of these local festivals. You're kind of getting some performance experience, making a few bucks. So how do you sort of start your career out of high school? Do you go on to higher education? Do you get a real job? What happens next? Well, I. Basically got no uh, higher education. I got an AA, uh, liberal studies, from a community college. Uh, so I, I, that took me about four years, too. I really enjoyed okay. slowly going through my, uh, my college. And during those years, I had street performing, which led to smaller gigs. Um, and how I did learned- you know how to street perform? I mean, did, was Aaron somebody who was able to 
give you the basics in that world as well because it's a bit a big step from juggling to actually putting a show together definitely along with juggling festivals the internet i was one of those the early internet jugglers mm-hmm. i was i remember searching desperately for videos before it was really a thing and there was performers.net all the way back then and uh, a ton of articles on street performing i learned so much mm. from uh, performers.net articles yeah, we'll and put up a link to that. That's good, good, good research. Then the uh, IJDB at the time, if you recall, had articles from uh, Stephen Regatz had some of the best ones on performing and creating acts. And so I really searched out the internet early on. And then, of course, juggling festivals. There's, you see performance, you talk with people, you learn things. So those were the main areas that helped me start to break into that. Another one was fire, which has been a big part of my journey. I learned, I got torches, I was hooked at juggling festivals and quickly was into, oh, cool, fire poi, fire staff, and people hired me for parties for fire shows. Now, when you say you worked in Columbia, I've heard of Columbia, that's like an old west town, is that, is that the thing? That's right, it's the only t- place in our area where they don't have car traffic. They shut it, all the car traffic down for the old-timey, authentic feel, mm-hmm. and through definitely the summer and parts of the rest of the year, uh, there's street performing. You just have to cater to the old timey. Right. So you can't go out there with, you know. Sure. Do they let you use uh, amplification? Are you allowed to use music? No, no. But I mean, ta- that's, that was earning my chops, you know. Right. You know, street performing is, uh, <laughs> you could have a terrible show and then a great one. And it's up and down and this worked and that didn't. And I started with ambient, right? Not trying to draw a crowd. and right. made. A little bit of money and I was excited about that just juggling for the small groups of people that stopped to watch right so basically you would put a hat out uh, start to juggle and just as people walked by if they wanted to put some money in they saw what you were doing yeah and that that was it at first and it was kind of low pressure on me right but I quickly learned from those articles uh, it's all about a show and a hat yes as far as the amount of money you can make the outfit versus what they would call the circle show it's not really a, much of a comparison. If you're, if you're doing what you're doing and want to make money, eventually putting a show together, gathering the crowd, doing the show, passing the hat. Definitely. And it instantly worked. I, in, I would do three shows a day uh, instead of juggling all day, and I'd make five times as much money just because you do the show, you get the finale, you do the hat pitch right before the finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, so that, that, was, uh, that was awesome. And... Performance-wise, I think the next step was starting to juggle at juggling festivals. So when, when was your show. first IJA? So you, you, went, you went to the Lodi. I went to Lodi, and then maybe a few years later, I started going also to the Humboldt Juggling Festival, mm-hmm. a major part of my juggling culture. Uh, and I started to do shows uh, at the Renegade. It's right. a perfect place. You start to perform actually on a stage, the Renegade shows. And then started to do the public shows at the Berkeley Juggling Festival and the Humboldt Juggling Festival. And when I find, started to put together a real act is about when I went to the IJA, which is a fun story. My first IJA, Aaron Stevens and I went on a road trip to the Rainbow Gathering in Utah and on our way back went to our first IJA, 2003 Reno. which oh, was 2003? Wow, that was your first? That was my first. I hate to date myself, but my first was... Uh, 1980 Fargo. 
Yeah, and I we <laughs> we watched you. A friend of mine, Eric Cumberland, gave me a bunch of IJA VHSs back in the day, and I remember watching you guys long before I ever went. Yeah, our first one was a road trip. Uh, I went with uh, some other characters in a van with Mike Boyer, who was used to be uh, Barry Friedman's old partner, and John Luker, and we all drove a van. And they quickly discovered I couldn't drive, which which they, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know at the time. I was already like 18, 19 years old. And they figured that I would do my share of the driving. And uh, they quickly discovered I did not have a license and had never learned to drive. So, but I said, well, my thing will be to, to keep everybody up and entertained and talking to them while they drive. <laughs> so you can imagine the joy of me <laughs> talking to you the whole drive. So, uh, oh. But that was my, uh, my first drive across experience. So, so 2003, Reno. That was a, quite a – that blew yeah. my whole juggling world wide open. Aunt Gatto. Victor Key, mm. um, I mean, the names go on and on. Right, right. People. That was the year that they banded together to save the IJA or whatever. But it, it, it exploded our Aaron and I's that was, the year, was that the year Mark McGuire put the show together and uh, just loaded I, it with, with you know, big-name talent? Was that it was that? absolutely loaded, the, uh, the, yeah, the Cascade of yeah. Stops. It was funny, actually. I remember <laughs> I auditioned. For the, uh, I went through the cha championships audition mm -hmm. with this incredibly poor routine <laughs> where I tried uh, multi ball contact toss juggling. And so, you know, acrylics are all over the stage. And I just was way out of my element. I'm so glad I did it. I mean, looking back, I had no chance. And it was comical that I entered, tried to get in back then. But I was brave enough to, to try. And that failure taught me everything. And when I came back and tried to compete later, I knew that I had to be at a different level. Well, what I like is you're setting a very attainable direction for people to follow. As far as it's not, you're not setting it very, sounding very uh, uh, difficult to attain as far as direction of picking up juggling from a friend, starting to juggle at some festivals, getting some experience at the IGA or other festivals performing up on stage. These are certainly a good sort of path other people can follow, especially to the fact that you didn't really even start until you were in high school, where when I started out, one of the things that people thought was the best jugglers or that your chance for the most success was to start when you're a kid. Right. Uh, you know, if you didn't start when you were eight or nine years old, you're already behind the curve. Of course, we had guys like Dick Franco, who I don't think started until his 20s and went on to a very successful career. Yeah, I think with information being what it is, there's something to a level of high technical mastery. There's something mm -hmm. to starting young. Oh, like definitely. Tai Tojo's on the path, you know, to be to be there. But uh, as far as professional performance and earning a living from juggling, I don't think you need to have started young. I think I think when you start young, it has something to do with consistency. Whatever yeah. I think of the guys who started young, like Rudy Horn or Bob Bromson. Uh, certainly, of course, Anthony Gatto or Chris Cremo. I think of these guys who just, by a certain age, had pounded out already so many shows. So by the time they're 13, 14 years old, they're already hardcore seasoned professionals. Right. And you, it's hard to sort of overcome that. But like you're saying, to be a performer nowadays, to be able to do something with juggling that suits your temperament and personality is a lot more available. Before, it used to be Pretty much you would do a review show or you would go into, you know, uh, Harlem Globetrotters or you basically end up doing an eight minute act to music was sort of the direction I thought coming up. 
Mm. But now here you are, you're coming up, you have all this exposure to the internet. So you go to your first IJ convention. What were some of the things or jugglers that you saw that really resonated with you that sort of stood out as, oh my God, moments from this first uh, convention experience at the IJA? Yeah, well, Michael Menez was there. And I had already fallen in love with his work from the IJA VHSs that we got to watch before Mm -hmm. we ever went. And meeting him, juggling with him, watching him in person was stunning. Uh, Victor Key was those two from my early juggling. They were they were it. The the high end dance technical, and then the shapes that Menez would work with, and the artistry. So those were really the two big ones. You know, I was excited to watch Anthony Gatto, mm-hmm. but. Uh, for me, it was Michael Menez and Victor Key. They were really what I was after at the time. Now, when, so when you're coming up as a juggler, where does the, I guess you would call it the flow community fit in? Did you also have a foot in this other world of the poi and were there other conventions that maybe your mainstream jugglers weren't going to? At the time, not quite yet. If we're looking at the 2003 mm-hmm. to 2000. Right. Five range for me. I had right. started spinning fire poi because they were at juggling conventions during the fire circles. But the spinning knowledge, uh, the technical realm, was very basic and simple at the time. And you know, I would toss juggle torches, not spin them. It wasn't until many years later when I really went to my first fire festival, uh, fire drums, and that was sort of a you know another mind blowing experience that there's this culture of spinning flow mm-hmm. arts that is different and yet so much the same. And they kind of have been evolving. The, the juggling scene has a, a greater history or longer history. Right. And, and the flow art scene is coming up in that. And I was one of the few people at the time early on who was really definitely in the juggling scene and definitely in the fire scene. Uh, and more and more, there's a lot of people whose Venn diagram go into both bubbles. Yeah, I try to have my, my foot in both. I've always been very uh, appreciative of it. And I've never been one of those people who looked at poi as something like lesser than juggling. I think when it first came out, there was sort of this feeling like, oh, look how much attention that person is getting doing something so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when here I am doing something much more difficult. And yet people are not as, as aesthetically pleased. With yeah, them. at juggling festivals, there's been historically a taboo on, on poi. And I think it's partly what you just described and partly that when people try it, they learn one or two moves and go, oh, this is easy. Um, poi can be pushed technically as oh far gosh. as any other prop. And it's, it's insane what one can do. And we're only now starting to break that taboo that, you know, poi is for... right. Uh, little girls, which is, I don't believe at all. I spin poi almost religiously. It's my exercise, my stretching. Well, maybe one of the uh, the taboos could come from how annoying something is in the gym. Like <laughs> if, if it's like shaker cups, it's annoying because it's noisy. I think yeah. poi was also kind of annoying because you might get hit in the head. You know, people are swinging around. They're, they're taking up a lot of space. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. hey, man. So uh, maybe it was just a little bit more annoying than juggling. But also, like you say, you could pick it up immediately. You could do a couple, maybe the weave or something. Which like, makes I'm it a fantastic poi. prop. It makes yeah. it accessible. It's a gateway to prop manipulation. 
I like Poi. And like you were saying, I think nowadays with some of this release moves, uh, like with the Poi that has the smaller ball in place of the handle, so it's not attached to your fingers. Yeah, and that's become really the standard these days. Poi has grown into contact Poi, which combines contact juggling and Poi. And then the three and four Poi worlds, if anyone is uh, not watching all of this, both with toss and manipulation, multi-poi is uh, insane and exploding right now. Uh, very exciting times in poi. Well, I was looking, the other day I was watching some hoop dance videos, is something which is something I'll do. Uh, just cruise the, the uh, internet for hoop dance videos. It is amazing. Sometimes you see like, wow, this... And, and I didn't realize it was so young, but you're saying like even like 2003, uh, that era, it still wasn't like something in the mainstream where you like you were going to conventions or now this fire drums I've heard of, is that the largest of the flow community get togethers? Essentially. I mean, it obviously I would say if you're looking at sheer number of spinners, burning man is the biggest gathering of flow artists, but that's not the only reason they go. They go for all sorts of different other reasons. And it was a major hub and reason for the explosion in the recent culture. Fire drums is definitely the premier fire flow festival and has been going now for 13 years, I think. And it, uh, it started with a bunch of people on the beach and grew into a, a well-organized fire festival. I think at its peak, it had 800 people, uh, participants, the not including staff. And that is the biggest, a flow festival has gotten in the U S but uh, kinetic fire is well on its heels with, uh, that's over, uh, in Ohio. Flohio, pardon me. And, <laughs> okay. And uh, they had 600 last year. So, And have you, have you been to the Burning Man scene yourself? I know the Burning Man scene well. I don't personally go to Burning Man. There's a bluegrass festival that my friends and I kind of hook up every right. year, like family. But I've been to what are called decomps and pre-parties and things like that. And a lot of my friends go. And so I get a sense of the culture. But I've never been myself. And sometimes I get some flack for that. But... I think a bluegrass festival sounds nicer to me. Yeah. I, <laughs> I picture I the Burning Man. I picture myself huddled in a Winnebago during the day, just going like, oh, my God, it's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> then at night, I'm getting so dirty. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a Burning Man type of a – but I'm, I would like uh, to experience one of these, these flow festivals. Are they set up the way um, that I would say like an IGA convention is set up, like multi-day? Yeah, multi-day. I'm uh, directing the show at Fire Drums this year, Dan, you could come and host. You could be our MC. When, when, when is it? We're looking we're to finalize the dates now, but uh, traditionally it's at the end of May. Uh, that sounds good to me. I've got a booking. Look at that. Hey, got to get All right. Call my, my manager and agent or, or uh, we can talk <laughs> after the festival. But that, sound, that sounds uh, very interesting. I certainly would like to do something like that. That might be a perfect opportunity for me to... To come because nowadays I feel as if um, when I go to a convention, I, I want to have some involvement. Mm, yeah, me too. Uh, I, I want to direct a show or MC or I very rarely go now to a festival unless it's a, even a local ones that I'm not actively involved with. Uh, to answer your question, 
They are similar and different. Uh, most Fireflow festivals are centered around camping, definitely. There's usually okay. no hotels or convention center. The, there's workshops all day. That's always a big theme. Uh, many of them have shows, which is kind of really, they learned from the juggling festivals, I'd say. I think the shows started off not you know being there, and then they started having flow cases and fire shows. And so that's now pretty much a staple. Is some kind of Would they be happening in theaters, or do I picture that by the, the big... Fire it's, pit? Uh, from anywhere from a circus tent to the fire pit. A lot of these things happen at camping sites that have amphitheaters mm, or nice. arenas, right, right. Things, things like that. And, and then, these uh, shows take place outdoors, sort of open, yes. open sky? Oh, that sounds nice. Yes, the majority, not all right. of them. And then uh, there's the, I'd say the, for at least me and a lot of other people, the, the highlight of these events is the evening fire circles, which is... I want to say uh, unregulated, but it, it's it's regulated by safeties and fuel depots and different things. But anyone can go up. Mm -hmm. Anyone can get in there. And one of the original ideas behind fire drums was that in the fire circle, everyone is um, an equal. You could be spinning next to Yuta from Japan, a poi hero, and you're on the same ground and level. And you can try to make a big deal of it and perform for a small group, or you can just kind of chill out on the side or try something new. It's a very organic performance situation where people sit around campfires over a, a big circle and watch mm. fire spinning uh, and listen to music all night. Right, and then during the day you would have workshops and things like yeah. that? Pretty, pretty aggressive workshop schedules. By that I mean most of these things are packed, mm. packed with workshops. Well, you're making it sound very, very attractive to me. I'm not, I don't know about the camping per se. I'm not much <laughs> of a camper, but I could, I could certainly rough it, but maybe we'll, so you're saying that's May or March, did you say? Uh, yeah, the, the end of May, you know, often May. it is a little dependent on the venue, um, okay. but I can't recommend it enough, even to people who have uh, identify as jugglers and mm -hmm. not spinners. Um, there's a lot of juggling and there's a lot of value and fun to be had and really great community. Well, I think the identity of, of juggler is sort of fragmenting lately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at even like the WJF, it seems like their next festival is going to be more of a skill. I guess it's called skill con. Skill con. Skill con. Yeah. Well, I think it's partly out of necessity for them. Uh, I, I, that's the idea I've always pushed. I've always pushed the IGA, I think, for 20 years. I was saying that you should open up the umbrella. You should You should embrace these other activities flair bartending okay. the one that he has involved with in his which i i don't get is is dodgeball <laughs> I, <laughs> that i don't see as a uh, i think it's a reflection of the his primary demographic i mean if you look at the video games and the mm -hmm. dodgeball yeah and the, the go-karts and uh you know it's for an organization you want to target the youth if you want to have a future so i'm not criticizing it but i think that those are activities that appeal to young males basically Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. They brought sort of a violence element into. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but yes. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you look at it, I mean, if you look at our like the one spectrum of the community could be sort of a, if we're going to sort of stereotype it, the sort of peaceful, flow. <laughs> I hate to say hippie character. No, it's a fair stereotype. <laughs> it's not all inclusive, but the right. flow community is uh, a lot of that, and that's what I was as a teenager, and that's what brought me into it was being a hippie. You know, I'm not necessarily anymore although i i maintain some hippie like parts of me uh but that's a fair stereotype so how does one transition from being a hippie juggler type to actually uh 
sort of starting to earning some money and making it into your career? I mean, how does that transition occur? Well, workshops at the juggling festivals, you know, if you're interested, a lot of juggling festivals have workshops on career and performance, and there are a lot of articles, but start self-promotion, uh, varying your act. Some people go the direction of honing one particular skill. I went the direction of learning a ton of skills. When I started to try and make money and watch other jugglers that were making money, I learned cigar boxes. I learned Diablo. I learned spinning and balancing things. I learned plates. I learned rollabola. Those type of things, mm-hmm. I think, helped uh, to create a show. Comedy. Comedy is really important. And if you know, the type of juggling I've always wanted to do has been the artistic stage dance routine. And that's what I love so much. Right. But to do what I do and uh, survive as a professional juggler, I've had to learn comedy and joke and cheesy stuff. And I had, you know, I created my own Apple routine with Great. knives and stuff. I tried to be as original as possible, but that sure. balance between accepting, okay, this works and makes people respond. And there's this gap for the art, artist's mind. You know, it's like what you want to achieve, but it's going to take you 10 years to be there. Well, there's certainly something that has to fit within the template of professional juggler performer. You know, as far as the skills you need, if someone were to say, I want a juggler to come perform for my event, in their mind, I really think they're sort of thinking more of this this current comedy juggler half an hour, 45 minute audience involvement type of show. That to show up and basically do an artistic juggling show would be like, what are they doing? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I experienced a lot of that. You know, my first few Ren Faire gigs, Mm -hmm. I tried to have artistic moments in there. Right, right, right. (laughs) And it's just not a captive audience. Speaking of, things like Ren Faire's are good bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, Street performing. Find a place to street perform. That's where you earn your chops. That's where you quickly realize what doesn't work and what does work. Um, And then from there, you have street fairs, craft fairs things like that, that are not too hard to get into. You know, in in a smaller context, you can say, you'll just come for the hat. And most places, uh, there's something to work out there. And then street fairs to renaissance fairs, building blocks. Well, that's how how the Raspini Brothers started. I mean, our first gig was to, our first sort of real gig was to drive cross-country from Los Angeles to Chicago, or or to Kenosha, Wisconsin, really, uh, for a festival that basically was not even going to pay us, right. that, that was going to allow us to pass the hat. Uh, so we drove all the way there, and we met with the fellow. His name was uh, John Mills, and he said to us, I remember because what he said was very memorable. He said, uh, you know, he invited us into the office. He said, boys, I want to tell you something. We don't need you here. <laughs> we'll let you be here. We'll, let you, we'll give you a spot. You can be here by this log. <laughs> you know. Or, or Later on, he gave us a spot by the crane. But we started off with a spot by the log. And, uh, and I think one of our aha moments as far as the, the you know, when I became a juggler is so we get there and, and uh, someone had told us to pass the hat before the last trick. Yeah. Because that was a style that they had, had done. And so we did that for our first show. Uh, and then we passed the hat and then we did the last trick. But... I think we made money, even though we realized very quickly that wasn't the style that we wanted to do. Like mm-hmm. we wanted to do the last trick and then pass the hat. Right. But just at least being there, because at that point, we, we needed to make money 
purely to survive. <laughs> you know, because we had we had driven out there. If we had not made any money while we were that first day at the festival, it really would have been like, oh, we're we're screwed. Or do we do we what do we do? Do we turn around and go home? Do we? So that was certainly an aha moment. But this idea of Renaissance fairs or crafts fairs or street fairs, street shows, getting your feet wet, but also this understanding that you might have a particular style that you want to explore. Yeah. Like for you, it was this sort of artistic juggling to music. For me, it was trying to be Chris Cremo, which wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so one thing I want to talk to you about is when I watch your style, especially your style with like clubs, I see a lot of this new influence that kind of came up after me as far as my my knowledge of it or awareness and it's kind of left me behind what is your understanding of sort of this development of this new style of club juggling so you know what i'm talking about it has lots of starts and stops lots of traps yep i know how exactly would you what you're talking about and how would you describe its evolution cool well, uh, well i'll describe it through my lens and how i experienced uh going from a toss juggler, quote unquote, to a, uh, a club manipulator and a club spinner. The, my earliest memories are of Peapot, Maxim, okay. Maxim and Ville. And they were doing just crazy weird stuff. And I learned traps actually from Maxim at an IJA. I forget which one. And, yeah, I invited uh, them out to, to God, do I want to say North Carolina? That sounds about right. Yeah, um, invite even, them out to, to do to be the first half of the show. Yeah, that workshop changed my life, so thanks, Dan. Okay. Um, but <laughs> even before meeting them, watching the Peapot videos on uh, the internet, uh, I remember Luke Burridge playing with some weird club stuff early on, too. But so Peapot juggling, uh, Europe, European postmodern style stuff. Uh, Jay Gilligan would be next on... Mm-hmm. on that list for me uh that the mindset of just just different and sometimes it was really weird but you know he was doing different things with clubs and i tried to mimic a few of those things there were a few early south american and uh mexico influenced club stuff santi malabari and other people were spinning the clubs even though they were working with three of them mm-hmm. And so that had some early, and that's a much bigger influence now, and I'll get to that in a moment. In the States, along with Gilligan, I remember watching Michael Karras' early videos, and he was doing different things with clubs and adding some theatrical elements. Club swinging? Right, because you're already a pretty proficient club swinger from the beginning. Yeah, and those I remember the early club swinging. It was all fountains and mm-hmm. snakes and... Yeah. And it, it was kind of in, encompassed in this bubble that it didn't really break out of until the, the burners got there, the fire spinners. Well, you had Al Jacobs, who sort of set the standard. Yeah, I, I remember I remember watching and learning all those moves. But that, and, like you say, that was the standard for quite a long time. Quite a long time. Quite a long time. And even in uh, certain circles in juggling festivals, it's still the standard. And those moves look good and pretty. So you had the club manipulators, Peapot, Michael Karras, Jay Gilligan, uh, and they were teaching a lot of people in Europe. They were really influencing people there. I remember watching uh, early Eric Abare videos, 
Then we have the the spinning community, and they in the not just West Coast, but it's you know often referred to as West Coast club manipulation style. You have moves from the spinning world, holding clubs like staffs, doing things called anti spins, uh, using spinning terminology and understanding as more spinners, as more flow artists started to juggle clubs and bringing that element to it. It has blended in with the club manipulation stop start style. People like Wes Peden and Patrick have uh, pushed things, you know, mm-hmm. to a technical side. You had club manipulation, which in, in its own way was kind of simple at first, easy to understand. And then people like Wes and Patrick pushed club manipulation to an intense high-end technical level. So there's um, influence, you know, the club manipulators and the, the spinning world has fused to form a hybrid blend. One of the reasons I really got into it was torches and glow juggling, torches and glow club juggling. I always felt like eventually I was going to drop, like it was just a limited amount of tricks I could do with torches. But when I was spinning with fire staff or poi, it was this jam. It was a dance. It was an expressive Mm -hmm. act. And so learning to spin with three clubs uh, and enabled you to blend manipulation and spinning and moves that were reliably not going to drop, but interesting to watch with a little bit of toss juggling. So my passion for it was fueled by glow club juggling and torch. Juggling. Yeah, I can see that. Cause when you're doing a jam and you're, you're in one of these situations where basically you're going to be filling a lot of time, like you're going to be performing to, to fire with, you know, to 20 minutes or whatever it's going to be, or you're just doing it for your own enjoyment. Is I be able to get into the flow without worrying about dropping or chasing the props. Right. And then you do the toss moves you're confident with to pepper out the routine. Right. But I remember early on torch juggling in jams and I was either going to stop or drop. Right, right. <laughs> or like you say, you were going to just follow this sort of basic. It's sort yeah. of interesting. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if this would be a great example, but like a, a Picasso or somebody, like if you look at like a Wes Peden, where they have all the skills to do this sort of straightforward technical style, but they have made it more of a choice to incorporate these starts and stops and static positions. Where if you see somebody trying to do that style that doesn't have the technical base, uh, to me, I don't care to, to like it very much. You know, if it's sort of like a sure instead of learning the basics juggling like this guy never does at the Cascade, then you realize they really that their juggling skill itself is pretty small. Mm. To me, it seems like like you're saying this perfect mix of having the juggling ability like a West and combining it with this sensibility uh, of not dropping, of, of, of sort of staying with the flow of these more swinging, elegant moves, to me, is producing some of the, the nicest new work. Like if you look at like Tony Pezzo's uh, new routine. Mm, yeah, I agree. Uh and two more things I just wanted to add on to that sure. was the current Latin American scene. And the club influence is spreading all over the world from, from Latin America, Mexico, Chile, Argentina. Uh, they are blowing up the club scene and combining technical with artistic and spinning and manipulation. And then the other one is the, uh, the West Coast spinning scene. In just the past two years, 
a lot of spinners and passionate spinners, people who, you know, do it every day, have taken two clubs. And people like Wyatt Davis and Asaf Moore, who used to be called Poi Boy, he's now really into clubs, and uh, Marvin Ong, um, myself, we are spinning and club juggling mm-hmm. and manipulating all at the same time in a group. So it's only like a snowball building. It, I remember feeling alone and people looking at me a little weird early on when I was sure uh, doing well, what you, I you did. You always definitely <laughs> stood out as sort of this, here are these jugglers. Now Kevin's going to come up and do one of his pieces that we all know is going to be, is, there's going to be art, artistry, artistry uh, interpretation in there. There's going to be movement. But certainly not going to be your straightforward guy juggling to music, you know? Right. So now there's a pack of uh, a lot more people getting together, really embracing the style. Um, more on the hobbyist side, mm-hmm. I'd say. I perform with it. I, Jeremiah does. I know a few. I could list a handful of people that right. really professionally perform with the style. But as hobbyists go, it's really spread and fast. Now, before you talked about uh, performing with fire... Another thing I want to talk to you about is, I don't know if this is a sideline or, or a part of your major career, but you're also a, a fire walking leader. That's right. I am a master fire walking instructor. I earned the credentials over several years. Mm-hmm. It's something I love. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something that's given me uh, the courage, basically, to step out and say I'm going to be a professional performer whatever the cost may be. You know, it's it's a scary thing. It's like a leap, mm-hmm. a leap of faith. It's just sort of like a firewalk. I, I'm very passionate about it. I've done it for many years, and I was mentored by Tali Burkan, who is uh, the firewalking founder in the West. Uh, obviously, firewalking has existed for a long time, but he was the first one uh, in America to say, hey, hey, anybody can do this. You don't have to be a super shaman or anything. Now, how did firewalking, was that something that... I think Tony Robbins, was he someone who well, just sort of latched onto name. it? or He's the biggest name in firewalking. And Tony learned firewalking from Tolly, who mm. mentored me in firewalking. Um, but Tony had a lot of other elements. He's got the sales. He's got the NLP. Sure. He's got the marketing machine. He's got the personality. He's larger than life, literally. Big teeth. Big, big teeth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot big of smile. admiration because he has, got, had, he has led more people across a firewalk than anyone else mm. on the planet. And I know firsthand that uh, it can change people's lives. And so he's definitely the figurehead of the firewalking world. Now, is this something you, you sort of became aware of through these fire festivals and then you did a firewalk yourself at a certain point and, and got hooked on it? Uh, good question. I, my wife and I, uh, we weren't married at the time, were doing a fire show. This is before she went into nursing. We had a fire show that we performed around town and we were hired to do a fire show for a firewalking instructor training graduation. Mm. And the reason we were hired is because I just started doing the fire contact ball. Uh, before it was really a thing, I, I had made my own and I did contact with the ball on fire. And the uh, Tolly had heard about that, so he hired us and it went really well. And then we got to firewalk that night and it was awesome. And we were hired two more times uh, the next year to do it. And every time we went, the whole group was so excited, so jazzed, high on life, fire walking on these crazy uh, Mm -hmm. pits of coals. And so finally we were like, okay, we really want to do this. And we uh, took the instructor training 
really liked it, but also got on really well with Tolly and came in and were, we were his assistants until he retired for the next, uh, I think it was four years, which dove us head on into the firewalking world. And are you currently leading firewalks? Yeah, I lead uh, several firewalks a year. I'm probably two or three times a year I'm hired to, for other companies to go mm -hmm. in and facilitate their firewalk for them. Right. Because I'm considered an expert and I know how to create the conditions to have an as safe as possible right. fi firewalk. And they'll do the talking and the message. And other times I hold my own. Recently, it's been really exciting. I've brought in the firewalking to fire drums and to flame and to kinetic fire. And, and other instructors that I've trained have brought in it to other flow festivals around the country. So I'm thrilled about that because it brings with it this you know message of you can do it and it's a perfect match for the fire dancing world and if we had a firewalk at an ij yet is that is that coming <laughs> no i thought about it <laughs> you think you know, the, the, the convention center thing, environment yeah. is a lot of logistics exactly and uh i'd have to charge I'd maybe in the hotel ballroom they're not gonna <laughs> let us set up the firewalk uh, now, speaking we, of the ij though let's talk a little bit about your you at a certain point you decided uh not only to go to ij conventions but to become involved with the with the running of the conventions and the board yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me a little rundown of your involvement with the IJ and, and maybe a little bit about what that experience in, in hindsight uh, meant to you. Sure. I forget which year it was. Kim Laird uh, approached me and I had befriended her at IJAs and asked, uh, asked me if I would be a nominate for the board and thought that I would be good and they wanted young blood. and. Mm -hmm. And uh, without thinking much about it, I, I said, sure. And I jumped in and uh, wrote a basic little uh, candidate statement and had no idea what I was getting uh, signing up for, really. I just knew that I liked the IJA a lot. They had helped me. I had already jumped into professional performance. And without a doubt, the IJA uh, helped me kickstart my career. So I wanted to get back. And I signed up. Uh, I si <laughs> I, oh, that's right. 2008 was the, that year, and that was the year the board was sued. So the mm. very first thing when I got on the board is we were sued, and I don't want to go right. into names or details. And that, but that situation seems to have... Died down. Yes, and for a while there, it was sort of the... Oh, it was talked about IGA, it was sort of like IGA, <laughs> and this other person became almost a couple. It was all-encompassing, <laughs> and it was really intense. And It's nice uh, that's over, and that's not really it, something that... Yeah, we, and I was really... Basically proud of how we, the board, uh, handled it at the time, and I made a lot of friends, and boy, I learned a lot about what goes on in the background, and mm -hmm. I had a lot of idealistic thoughts and visions that, you know, I, I didn't have the ability to manifest because it's so volunteer-based, uh, but I had a good time. I feel like I helped, and the challenges the board faces are, are crazy. And people often criticize the board of directors, but I've, in all my experience of both knowing people when they were on it and being on it two terms myself, everyone means well and they're just trying. It's, it always saddens me when people start to really criticize the, the board of directors. Well, people got away from the juggling into the politics of running an organization <laughs> and maybe the direction also of the organization. Like you're a fellow who I think is a pretty high profile through the IJA. So certainly to sort of see your background and kind of get this idea of how attainable this is, this kind of life to, to be a juggler, if you have a passion for it, if you have a unique vision and drive for it, and then you find a place for yourself, like your place in this in this uh, 
flow community, in the firewalking community, and of course in the juggling community. And that kind of brings us up to now the present. Now you've put an, an act together with two other people. What what sort of your present and, and future plans moving forward? Yeah, right now I'm performing with Mountain Motion. Originally I performed with my wife and we were Mountain Mischief and we performed together for three years and it, it, was, uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. And then she went on into nursing school to pursue another career. So I had a year and a half, almost two years of solo performance. And I would say that I didn't do as well uh, because in large part I'm, I'm such an uh, artist at heart and the, the harder side of professional performance, the organization, the marketing. The business uh, side. The yeah. business side. Uh, what is not my forte, though I, you know, I keep growing. Sure. So also I felt a little lonely on the road. I'll admit it. And uh, so I had been continually talking with two jugglers I love and admire and have known for a long time, Jeremiah Johnston and Aaron Stevens. And they moved back to the area that, that we originally met and we formed Mountain Motion. It's, it's exciting. It's fun. I believe we can create a bigger pictures, uh, better things. We do a lot of routines to music, my favorite style, kind mm -hmm. of artistic, interesting. We're all high-level jugglers, so we can put together cool things. The, the, challenge, the big challenge has been, and I know you've offered to uh, help at some point, Dan. We still got to take you up on that. The big challenge has been three-person comedy, mm -hmm. getting an organic, natural flow to trialogue. <laughs> comedy but we're getting there we've done festivals we've done ren fairs we've done schools clubs uh, a whole variety of different uh, events and gigs and we're we're doing well i'm hopeful got a lot of feedback that it can be very challenging to get everything you need or to make what you need when you have multiple people three people uh requires almost triple sure. the money. well especially three people who aren't necessarily uh, coupled like if right. you have a couple who can pool the money. Right, right. Uh, yeah, when Brandy and I performed together, that you know, we got 100% of the, mm -hmm. the money. Um, and yet, it's it's exciting. It's inspiring. Part of the I'll call back to the firewalking. You know, it seems like a challenge, and yeah, other people might say it's not possible, but there's this really gratifying thing when we uh, when we move forward and succeed. Well, it's maybe a more difficult road, but it's certainly not impossible. One thing I like that you put out recently, I don't know if you're pursuing this, I know I talked to Aaron about it, was you did something where you had a green screen behind you and you had a projection uh, while you were club swinging and you were sort of interacting with this projection behind you. Yeah, Shapes on Shapes was the name of that video. Uh, Jeremiah has a studio. The Johnstons have a big studio and they have a green screen and that's a new addition. I'm excited. That was just my first uh, foray into that. And well, I've already gone out on a limb and saying to me that's the future of juggling is this video projection. It's yeah. Holograms. Like that Torque Diablo video. Yeah, I mean, I'm star. all over that. I just. Well, like I say, when you see that, you realize he's doing the same moves. Right. But all of a sudden, the entertainment value is magnified by 10 or, or however oh, much. Yeah. And it's, it's the same exact move. When you go, okay, I get it. I don't have to increase my technique. I have to increase the entertainment value of what I'm presenting. Right. And by adding these other elements, especially embracing new technology, like I just saw that there was this Japanese hologram performed on David Letterman. I didn't see like a like a Japanese pop singer is a hologram. Has no real identity. And <laughs> They're so, gonna replace us all. <laughs> no, I really believe that someday <laughs> we're gonna have holographic 
circuses or holographic jugglers sure. where someone will be able to juggle 21 clubs and it will look exactly as if it would have to look physically because they just put it in a computer. Well, that's, that's a, a promising thing for fire. I think what, you know, I've seen yeah. big crowds watch untalented fire spinners. I mean, mildly talented <laughs> yeah. and just watch it because of the heat and the energy and this raw kind of emotion. Well, they'll, 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 they'll be able to match that through computers as well. They'll have hit the heat jets, <laughs> heat jets come out and cue the fire sound. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lou is the human element. With Mountain Motion, yeah, we, we do fire shows. We have a fire show and we have a glow show and we have, it's taken uh, two years to put it all together, but we have a Ren Fair show. And it's such a funny balance between trying to pick one thing to really excel at it and survival. Right. We get, we're getting by because we have a fire show and a glow show and a school show and a Ren show. Right. Uh, but, you know, the, at the high end, you have that one particular type of show. Uh, that you're really, really, really good at, and uh, you know that we're we want to get more into corporate, which pays the highest. Mm-hmm. It's 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 fun. It's a really human experience to work with three three good friends like that. And one of the reasons it's worked for me is because I have firewalking on the side, and I uh, I am a partner in the Flow Arts Institute, uh, which is another area I learned from IJA festival organization. Mm. Um, my experience when that transferred over into the Flow Arts Institute who runs fire drums and pack fire and kinetic fire and flame and uh, campfire. Mm. So you're involved in, in uh, setting up other festivals than the one you were talking about before. That's right. Mm. So if I were to emcee these different events, I'd have a whole <laughs> new a whole new market for myself. whole new market, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's your target demographic. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll start bringing this podcast to an end, and then you and I will continue our conversation afterwards. Sure. We'll discuss some possibilities because I'm also looking towards the future as far as uh, continuing my juggling career out a few more years. Cool. Well, so, I would just love to say that there is a, a, a juggling world and a juggling scene. And there is a flow arts world and a flow arts scene. And they're you know, just starting to come together. But there's so much for everyone to learn from each other. And I really feel it's the same worlds. I think much like you, Dan, you know, juggling isn't just literally throwing things. You know, the... Spinning world is so filled with joy and heart and passion and drive and and friendship and it's kind of this outgoing liberal sense and the juggling world is filled with great examples of professional uh, performance and quality shows and and real technique that's been developed over years and practice uh, concepts that are super valuable and they both have a lot to teach each other. So I want to encourage the jugglers to go to spinning and fire festivals. And I want to encourage the spinners and flow artists to go to juggling festivals. And I'll be emceeing at both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, This gave me a good insight into you, into some backstory about yourself. I look forward to the next time you and I can get together at a festival. And thanks so much for doing podcast number nine, Kevin Axtell. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thanks, Dan. That was podcast number nine, my conversation with Kevin Axtell. I hope you enjoyed that. Let's thank our sponsor, the IJA International Jugglers Association. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming podcast, please reach me at my website or just through email at danjuggle at gmail.com. Let me thank my engineer, the beautiful Karen Holzman. Once again, thanks to all the listeners and Kevin Axtell. 
Hope you enjoyed that. So go out there and spin some poi, juggle some clubs, walk on some fire, and drop everything when you do. Thank you so much and see you next time.